Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. But mainly the idea of being able to buy a machine and find a buyer for it, I found really, really something that played to my strengths. Mm -hmm. Something uh, where I could use the mindset that I had as a writer, which was to draw a lot of things from from different places together and then synthesize them and end up with something special. In the case of the machinery business, to make a deal. Honestly, I haven't thought about that since we did it. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my co-host Lloyd Graff. Today we have a special show for you. It's our 50th podcast, so we want to look back at a few memorable episodes. We hope you enjoy it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. 50 episodes. It's hard to believe. Almost every week. Did it go by pretty fast for you? The time always goes by fast for me now. Uh, and yes, um, I can't believe we've actually done 50 of them. Would not have done 50 had it not been for you pushing and pushing to get them done, Noah. Well, thank you. Why don't we go through uh, a few of our favorite episodes? Um, I'd say we should start with the first one, uh, which definitely has the most listens out of all of them, which is the interview we did with you. Dad, where you talked about your how you got your start in journalism and how you got your start in the machinery business. The idea of being able to buy a machine and find a buyer for it, I found really, really something that played to my strengths. Mm-hmm. Something uh, where I could use the mindset that I had as a writer which was to draw a lot of things from a, from different places together and then synthesize them and end up with something special. In the case of the machinery business, to make a deal. In case of writing, to come out with a, a, a novel article. Did you feel empty not getting to write all the time? No. 
So you didn't really think about it? Not really. Uh, the writing was always uh, in the back of my mind, but I was uh, quickly became enamored of the uh, used machinery business and also the idea of uh, getting married and the excitement of being married also. Putting the two together, that was a full life. I, I didn't think I had to have the writing at that point. Mm-hmm. But I returned to it later in the 70s and in the 80s. But I have to say that I have always been fascinated by the machinery business. I also loved the chemistry uh, when I went to work between my father and Aaron Pinkert. I really I enjoyed being with Aaron. What was it about the chemistry? Can you explain? You had two people who were really very, very different. And Aaron, who tended to be passive, tended to get along with everybody. A lawyer who ended up in the machinery business. How did he end up in the machinery business? It wasn't his great love of the machinery business. It was his friendship with my father, his realization that he wasn't going to be able to make much of a living as a lawyer and feeling that my father's dynamism would allow him to be successful. His contribution was uh, tempering my father's volatility. Right, but he was more than just a psychologist. I mean, he was out there selling machines as well. Yeah, he, he was pleasant with the customers. My father actually didn't have a lot of patience for the customers. Uh, and Aaron had endless patience hmm. for the customers. He could talk to them and listen to them. And my father was tended to be thinking about the next deal and the next deal. He was the inspiration of the business. He was the passion. He was the energy. And Aaron was the person that sort of was the glue that helped hold things together. Honestly, I haven't thought about that since we did it. I guess uh, I was one of the main subjects. I just thought, uh, okay, I'm doing it, and that's old business. Uh, but actually, a couple of days ago, I did go back to it and think about it when Scott, my son-in-law, pulled out the old Emmerman catalog. Also done a podcast. Yes, And that brought to mind doing that podcast and going back to the origins of uh, my father in the machinery business and in the screw machine business and and the more or less the history of the industrial base of America from the 30s on Um, and definitely going to be another episode in the future. yeah, Yeah. We need to we need to go more into detail on the history of Graf Pinkert, how um, Leonard Graf started it in 1941. Another episode that comes to my mind that that I enjoyed was uh, George Brewa. He was the um, the owner of the company Dynavap. They had the uh, this vaporizing product um, for vaping various uh, types of substances to consume them rather than smoking them. And he had called up Graf Pinkert looking for a Traub and uh, a Traub Swiss machine and to make his product, which right now I believe he's making it on Ganesh's. Smoking. It's so 30 years ago, if you know what I mean. (laughs) There's no need for it anymore. And, you know, I get that 
it's popular because it's a very simple, low-tech means of extracting active compounds. But the fact is, there are now much, much better alternatives. But until uh, I think we were able to kind of refine some of our products, most of those alternatives required complex electronics, batteries, power management, and temperature controls, and all kinds of other things in order to function correctly. Mm -hmm. And that, in a nutshell, is kind of the impetus for doing what we did here. And that's to create more of a mechanical analog-style vaporizer that will effectively vaporize nearly any active compound out of nearly any available material in a way that doesn't create incomplete combustion byproducts. So for the people that don't know, the typical vaporizer for for smoking runs on a battery, yes? Yes, almost all of them. I'd say a good solid 98 to 99% of all the vaporizers produced function either on batteries or a plug-in-the-wall electric heating element. Okay, okay. So the alternative is to to heat your device with some other thing, correct? Why don't, why don't, why don't you uh, give people the nitty-gritty on that? All right. Well, so one of the primary objectives from the initial design standpoint from the very beginning was to create a device that would liberate the customer, right, the operator of the device, from the need of a proprietary heat source. Okay, so if it's a battery-powered vaporizer, it tends to have the proprietary heat source built into it, or some of them will utilize, say, an 18650 that you can take out and recharge. But if you don't happen to have an 18650, you don't have a vaporizer. Okay, so mm -hmm. our devices, on the other hand, can utilize anything from a lighter to a candle to a stick from the campfire, an electric heating element on your cook stove, and there's even a growing range of other alternatives, including induction heaters, that are uh, showing up on the market and becoming more available. An example of something that's mechanically complex, right? Take a, a Swiss watch, for example, right? You don't make Swiss watches on cheap, simple, inexpensive, low-cost, non-precision ma machines. You, you know, you make them on extremely high-precision, very complex, very capable machines, and that's a big part of the reason why they're very difficult to mass-produce unless you have access to that type of manufacturing infrastructure. We got sort of uh, some mixed response from our audience uh, discussing how they how they viewed what the machines were being used to make. Um, but I I thought that the guy was just sort of a mad genius. That reminds me also of the podcast we did with uh, with John Greiner. Where we talked about talked to him about whether he did drug testing, and we were chiming in about the drug testing. Drug testing uh, is almost a religion now mm -hmm. uh, for uh, manufacturing people. Yep. Uh, you don't buy that, I gather. Well, I think that with legal, and, and I and I and I, and you're watching me on video, and you're probably pretty good with uh, with body language. I I don't use drugs or alcohol at all myself, um, but my experience is that uh, uh, people will say at least smoking marijuana, that type of thing. It's very, I'm guessing, it's pretty common in our culture nowadays. We're finally getting these laws changed. So I am more uh, inclined to just measure someone's performance, 
see if they show up for work. Um, I did have an individual one time who actually uh, did have an accident. I took him over to the hospital. It wasn't a serious accident, but I took him to the hospital, and he wanted to have a confession on the way over, and I told him, just shut up. You know, I'm taking you over here, and we're going to get you fixed up, and that that's the end of it. Um, we did wind up discharging him. Yeah, I, I guess, and, I, and probably without going into any more detail than that, um, my experience is that there are lots of people and lots of professions that, uh, that engage in that kind of thing. Uh, should you be an over-the-road truck driver doing that? You know, perhaps not. Yeah, airplane pilot, yeah, I kind of hope the guy in the, in the uh, front seat is... Uh, <laughs> has uh, most of his uh, sensory acuity with him, uh, but for other other types of work. And I, and I will have to say our accident record here is incredible. Right, and that anticipated the uh, changes in the marijuana laws that uh, are almost universal now. And this is going to be a challenge for people running machining companies on how they do their traditional uh, drug testing and their outlook on uh, at least marijuana usage as it moves into the mainstream. As far as looking back at some of the other podcasts, um, another one that seemed to get a lot of reaction was the was Jerry Levine's podcast. People accused him of being a uh, climate change denier, which really if you listened closely you would have seen that he was not i think he was it was more uh he was questioning whether it was totally man-made and whether he was worried about it what basically happened was all the carbon that was in the atmosphere was absorbed by plants and animals and they were buried they turned into coal and oil and gas and now we're burning it we're putting it back out in the atmosphere and what we're seeing is a greening of America, certainly, and a lot of the rest of the world. There are more trees in America today, I think, than when Columbus landed. And it's interesting. And so that carbon that had been in the air is now going back into the trees and into the ground. And it the cycle of different levels. But we're well within ranges we've been in the history of the Earth. And it, it's, not, uh, it's not a major crisis. That's, if I was worried, I would... Uh, get more active in this whole thing and, and it's just disinformation now there's one other thing i was going to say about car oh the correlation if you read al gore's book uh, inconvenient truth al gore has a lot of data in his book i've read his book studied it i saw his movie but his book shows the over the last 300,000 years i think he has temperature and, and carbon levels going up and down kind of in synchronization and it looks like man there is a correlation but when you look at it real carefully there is the earth warms and about six seven hundred years later the co2 comes up so it's not that the co2 causes warming it's that warming causes co2 you you, you tend to agree with what he says or i do because he knows a heck of a lot more about it than i do and i'm not nearly as upset about climate change, which I, I think is happening, but I don't think it's necessarily a new phenomenon. I mean, if we look at uh, uh, Greenland and you see 
Greenland a thousand years ago uh, was evidently warmer than it is today. And so now that uh, uh, some of the ice is melting in Greenland, it's uh, revealing uh, villages uh, from Norse, the Norse period. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Let's see. What else? What else? Um... I, I found uh, the interview with Esben Ostergaard quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, the the, the founder robot, the yeah. found the founder of Universal Robots. Yes, yeah, we interviewed him uh, from his home in Denmark. Right, he is in Odense, Denmark, the home of uh, Hans Christian Andersen, which I've always found uh, an interesting parallel with the uh, fairy tales. As I was talking about before, the traditional robots are made for doing the same thing over and over again uh, every single day, seven hours, no, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, seven years in a row, more or less, because seven years is the typical, uh, we'll say, product life in the uh, car factories. Hmm. That's how long they produce a, a given model. And that's where robot technology has grown up. Uh, you know, robot, uh, industrial robot technology has grown up. There is so much manufacturing happening outside this environment, and they need uh, easy uh, redeployability, ease of use, because they're not producing the same thing seven years in a row. Uh, you could say a laptop or a phone is only produced three months, four months, and then you need to readjust the whole factory line. Uh, and traditional robots are not the best at that. So by making a robot that's more like a tool that helps people do their work, we enable a new kind of automation. So first of all, you can say we have this concept of incremental automation, which is that you can actually put in robots to incrementally automate an assembly line or a production line. You don't need to automate the whole line in one go because mm-hmm. the robot is lightweight. You can just put it in there. It has safety functions, so you don't necessarily need a big uh, fence around the robot. And it, it you, that means you say this workstation can be automated. Typically, where there is some process, you want to have a high consistency in that process. Then it makes a lot of sense to put a robot in there. I found him interesting, A, in his single-mindedness about pushing forward as far as developing the product that he and a couple of others had in mind. And then... I also um, was interested in what, did he, what he did once he sold out to Teradyne. And then after that, it did affect my behavior because I uh, studied Teradyne and I studied the importance of robots for Teradyne and I decided to buy stock in the company. And the stock has done quite well. So uh, the podcast uh, actually has... Uh, given me information that I've used to make money. So, you, yeah, you, you have made money mm-hmm. in, indirectly from the podcast. Right. The podcast uh, with Brent Robinson, he was the guy who talked about finding your purpose um, in your work. Uh, 
that affected me quite a bit. That was that got a reaction from uh, from a friend, another dealer in the um, another machinery dealer. He called and he said this was the first podcast he listened to, and it, and it really affected him deeply. So that was very um, that really made me feel good. But talking to Robinson and really picking his brain about how we can make what we do feel meaningful every day. That is something that I often uh, am thinking about. You know, I was, it's funny. I was with this law firm yesterday and, and, you know, one of the partners was, you know, sort of pushing on some stuff. They're like, look, you know, I could just say that I'm, I'm in this business just because of the money. And, you know, I could, it, it totally makes sense to me. And I, and I'm like, um, I cry bullshit because um, why is it that you deliver at the level that you deliver that has you occupy this remarkable position? You give way more of a crap about this business than you're saying right now when you say it's about the money. And he's like, yep, you're right. And and then we got to it finally to acknowledge that. So it's a willingness to include acknowledging what you've been up to this whole time. doesn't matter what business you're in. You've been up to this same purpose the whole time. You happen to do it and have multiple ways to express it. This podcast being one, the blog another, and the um, the business being yet another. But I would tell you, it's it's all related. It's all connected to something that you've been up to this whole time. And it shows up in the level of care that you have taken in the work that you're doing because you know what it means to the, your customer. But getting access to that piece of technology they couldn't normally afford, you know that's going to change their world. I think another thing that we've done, Noah, is we've talked to a lot of people in the business. And I think that we've been moving in that direction over the past several months, uh, wanting to sort of get back to the roots and, of the business and place the podcast where our listeners are rather than in a more ethereal and uh, idealistic way. And, and so people talking about sort of the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. of their business, like uh, Dave Turo, Bill Cox, John Habe, uh, Anissa, uh, and people of that nature uh, has given the podcast uh, an immediacy. Also, it differentiates it from a lot of the other podcasts, which is, uh, you know, they're they're trying to cater to a, a wide audience. Sometimes that's very attractive to us. We want to to be uh, well-rounded. But at the same time, it does seem like the most listeners actually tune in when it is on point machining business owner or somebody specifically talking about the business of precision machining or some offshoot of it. And talking about that, I thought the one that I did recently uh, when I went to Bo Burlingham's home out in uh, Oakland, California, Although we cut it down, uh, we took a lot of the early part of the podcast out and just focused on uh, the 
uh, guts of what he'd written about recently as far as exiting a business in a positive way. I, th I found that very interesting. and uh, It's definitely something that a lot of people are dealing with. Yes, it is. Basically, if you haven't really figured that out and you aren't doing something that you want to do and that you have a reason for doing, you wind up doing what other people tell you to do. <laughs> and, uh, and then once you go through the process of leaving your company, you suddenly run smack into that question again, namely, who am I? You know, what do I want and why? So that was number one. Number two was that you had to build a, a, a sellable business. Um, and by that I meant a business that you could sell when you wanted, to whom you wanted, for an amount you considered fair. Um, there are things, as you probably know, called forced sales, where a company gets into trouble and they have to sell for whatever reason. That's what you want to avoid. Uh, talking about that, I found the one that we did uh, with uh, Graham Sinclair in Australia to mm -hmm. be quite fascinating. And how the problems uh, that somebody trying to run a job shop uh, in Australia uh, finds similar to the people who are trying to run one in Austin, Texas or yeah, absolutely. Alabama. Yeah. Well, that is one thing that I think has distinguished us. We have really gone around the world. We have a... We interviewed a Armand, um, a Spanish guy. We interviewed Federico Veneziano, an Italian guy who works at Cincinnati Micro. Um, Bruno Schmitter from Switzerland. We really try to cover a lot of uh, a lot of the world with the podcast. Yeah, I thought uh, Bruno was interesting in that he allowed us to view him more as a person rather than, uh, you know, a, a personage, rather than, uh, you know, sort of an icon of the machinery and machine tool business in America. Uh, I think we got to see Bruno as a man who has uh, come to the United States and built his fortune here and built a company that is sort of an interesting combination of America and Switzerland and European uh, machining values and reflecting Bruno's personality. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the one of the most important things you learned from your father? Never embarrass the Schmidter name. That was the most uh, important thing for him. You know, he couldn't come home and say, hey, somebody was mean to me or, the, or you know, the teacher, you know, slapped me in all my hands, you know. He said, fight for yourself, you know, you have to grow up strong. And so that kind of is a, a very important statement when you grow up compared to the millennials, you know, where <laughs> uh, they want to get a uh, trophy, you know, even if they lose the game, you know, mm -hmm. so. It's a tough upbringing, but uh, I had good parents. I, I think we can end it by saying 
that the people who have done the podcasts have also learned by doing them. I think they've learned about themselves. They've learned how they've sounded. True. To other people. I mean... Uh, Some of them tell me, I enjoyed doing it and I did not enjoy hearing myself afterward. But most of the time, everybody said, yeah, it was a great time. I think it was a great time, but I think it was also an instructive time for the people who did the podcasts. I think uh, for Russ Etheridge, uh, who was our lawyer, he said, I learned a lot by listening to myself, not necessarily in a positive way, but I learned a lot about how other people hear me, and that's valuable. Mm. That is profound. Well, we look forward to the next 50. Thank you. Keep tuning in and tell your friends.